So I wanted to cover some some interesting subjects tonight. A lot of you guys probably came for the title of the video, which is Trump's impeachment inquiry explained. So what is happening with Donald Trump right now? I did a, a, a poll on Twitter to see how many people felt like it was political spin or felt like it was a legitimate impeachment inquiry. So let me just kind of start from the beginning because a lot of people may not be aware of what's happening. Donald Trump did something that is extremely questionable, um, widely considered an abuse of power, like in the past like couple of weeks this happened, I believe. And a lot of information's been coming out about it. And so here's the question. Um, is the impeachment inquiry justified? Is the impeachment inquiry political spin or is it is it justified? So I figured we'd go through this CNN article that kind of details the whistleblower complaint. There was a whistleblower who was inside the White House, as far as I know, and decided to report something that happened. And as a result of this, everything exploded. Donald Trump is going through the impeachment inquiry and everything. And as a result of the impeachment inquiry, there's a lot of uh, Christian backlash. So a lot of Christians who are huge Trump supporters are really upset that he's being quote-unquote attacked like this. So let's go through, uh, CNN has an annotated version of the whistleblower complaint. Before we go through the annotated thing here, I just want to give a quick brief overview of the accusations. So Ukraine has a new president as of, I think, April. Zelensky, I feel like his name is Zelensky. Ukraine has been dealing with this whole Russia problem for a while, where Russia is invading parts of Ukraine trying to take it over. And the U.S. has been giving foreign aid to Ukraine for like a while now. So Ukraine has been promised $400 million or, or somewhere in there of foreign aid from the U.S. And Trump basically said he was going to withhold that money. He was going to cut it off, even though it was already promised to Ukraine, if they didn't play ball by investigating Joe Biden's son, or Joe Biden, basically, the Bidens, his political opponent. That's the accusation. So let's read through this complaint, the annotated complaint, and see what it has to say. I'm reporting an urgent concern in accordance with the procedures outlined in 50 USC 3033K5A. That's the... Uh, law number, I guess. This letter is unclassified when separated from the attachment. The whistleblower cites the portion of U.S. law that deals with the inspector general of the intelligence community and makes clear that any urgent concern, quote unquote, an intelligence community employee wants to report to Congress must first go through the inspector general. I have received information from multiple U.S. government officials. I have received information is different than witnessing information. The whistleblower appears to be reporting secondhand information. Over the past four months, more than half a dozen U.S officials have informed me of various facts related to this effort. It is routine for U.S. officials with responsibility for a particular regional or functional portfolio to share such information with one another. This is, uh, CNN annotated this. It says, the whistleblower report was filed August 12th. Trump's call with Zelensky 
which is the, I think, the president of Ukraine, occurred July 25th. But here, the whistleblower seems to be saying U.S. officials have been discussing the effort by Trump, Giuliani, and potentially Barr, um, which is the attorney general, since as early as April, the same month Zelensky assumed office. Giuliani, which is Trump's personal lawyer, not a member of the government, is Trump's personal lawyer, but Barr is the top law enforcement officer in the United States. His involvement would be extremely consequential. The whistleblower complaint goes on to say, I was not a direct witness to most of the events described. I'm deeply concerned that the actions described below constitute a serious or flagrant problem, abuse, or violation of law or executive order. I am therefore fulfilling my duty to report this information through proper legal channels. These actions pose risks to U.S. national security and undermine the U.S. government's efforts to deter and counter foreign interference in U.S. elections. To the best of my knowledge, the entirety of this statement is unclassified when separated from the classified enclosure. This is section one of the complaint. The 25th of July presidential phone call. It says, the president used the remainder of the call to advance his personal interests. Namely, he sought to pressure the Ukrainian leader to take actions to help the president's 2020 re-election bid. According to the White House, officials who had direct knowledge of the call, the president pressured Mr. Zelensky to inter alia, initiate or continue an investigation into the activities of former Vice President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, assist in purportedly uncovering that allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election originated in Ukraine, with a specific request that the Ukrainian leader locate and turn over servers used by the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, and examined by the U.S. cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike, which initially reported that Russian hackers had penetrated the DNC's networks in 2016, and meet or speak with two people the president named explicitly as his personal envoys on these matters, Mr. Giuliani and Attorney General Barr, to whom the president referred multiple times in tandem. The CNN added an annotation here. It says, a White House transcript of the call was released September 25th. The whistleblower apparently did not see the White House transcript of the call, but clearly it was discussed within the U.S. government. The description of the call is generally accurate. It's interesting that the whistleblower notes this is the first publicly acknowledged call since April. The implication is that Trump potentially may have had other unacknowledged calls. The bigger context is this. Trump is preoccupied with Biden and has repeatedly predicted that Biden will win the Democratic primary and be his opponent in November 2020. This is all about damaging a potential opponent, but it's also the American president asking a foreign country to help investigate two American citizens, Biden and his son, Hunter. There's no evidence of wrongdoing by either Biden. I guess that there was a there was an investigation on this already from my understanding on the Bidens and it came to nothing. It at this point it's kind of a conspiracy theory from my understanding that the Bidens did some shady thing in Ukraine. So Take that for what you will. The whistleblower goes on to say, the president also praised Ukraine's prosecutor general, Mr. Yuri uh, Lutsenko, and suggested that Mr. Zelensky, the president, might want to keep him in his position. And then uh, the annotation says, then Ukrainian prosecutor general Yuri Lutsenko said in May he was looking to reanimate an investigation of Hunter Biden's former employer, but that apparently never happened. He also said there was no evidence of any crime by Biden. Lutsenko left office in August after the new administration of Zelensky took office. The whistleblower goes on to say, the White House officials who told me this information were deeply disturbed by what had transpired in the phone call. They were retelling 
the story that they had witnessed the president abuse his office for personal gain. The annotation says, this is an important passage because it suggests unease inside the White House over Trump's actions, but also that staffers were worried they might get in trouble as witnesses. You know, one of the fascinating things about this whole thing is what Trump said in response to this. Hang on, let me find it real quick. Okay, this isn't a direct quote from him, but it says, President Trump told staff members at the U.S. mission to the U to the UN on Thursday that he wants to know who provided information to a whistleblower about his phone call with the president of Ukraine, saying that whoever did so was close to a spy, and that in the old days, spies were dealt with differently. That's pretty much what he said. I saw a direct quote about it. I, I don't remember what the quote was, but it, that's fairly close to it. And that was kind of concerning. So the whole situation is extremely concerning to me, honestly. We have facts out, okay? We have documents out that the White House released not whistleblower complaints or any of that, not just that. We have transcripts of phone calls, not exactly transcripts, but they were released by the White House. So this is publicly admitting that these things were said because he released it. And I I guess he thought that it was a tame version of what actually happened, but it wasn't tame enough. It was not good. There was debate about whether there was a quid pro quo or not, whether there was a, if you do this, then I'll do that kind of thing. There's debate about whether or not that's the case, but just looking at it, at its face, it looks bad. It looks really bad. This is not political spin. Just look at what the White House released and think about it. Like, that's not good. So right now, I guess from my understanding, a lot of the Democrats have postponed their like two week vacation to stay in um, in session at the House so that these impeachment inquiries can continue. And Trump is visibly very concerned over it because he keeps tweeting things like presidential harassment and, you know, that whole spies thing. Just he's not handling it well at all. I think he's really concerned. And something to take away from all of this, is, something I find interesting about it is the fact that the whole Watergate scandal with Nixon, the scandal wasn't what happened necessarily. That was bad. The real scandal was what Nixon did to cover it up. That was really what was ultimately going to get him impeached, although he ended up resigning uh, the presidency and then getting pardoned by his vice president. But at any rate, the cover-up was the, the bad thing in the Watergate situation. It, it's, it's a concerning situation right now. That's all I'm saying. And we don't have all the information yet, but just the information that we do have is extremely disturbing. So just keep a lookout for that information. But while that's happening, guess who is freaking out about it? This article is from the Friendly Atheist Pathios blog from Hemant Mehta. The title is Pastor says, nothing angers Christians more than an impeachment inquiry into Trump. I'm sorry, but uh, an impeachment inquiry is, is necessary. At least an inquiry. Whether he's guilty or not, we can investigate. Investigation shouldn't be a bad thing. Like, we can check into it. Because just what Trump himself has admitted to and released is impeachment inquiry worthy at the very least. So these Christians getting all up in arms about the inquiry is a little bit ridiculous. Let's give the article a read and see what it has to say. Right-wing pastor Robert Jeffress, a man who acts like Donald Trump can do no wrong, unwittingly told the truth to Fox News' Lou Dobbs last night. During an otherwise unremarkable rant in which Jeffress yelled 
his way through typical conservative talking points. Climate change is a hoax. There's no separation of church and state in the Constitution. The Bible is banned in public schools, etc. He talked about the impeachment inquiry and how the Christians he knew were furious about it. This is a quote from from the the pastor that was on uh, Fox News, Robert Jeffress. Since Monday night, I've spoken to thousands of Christians, and I'm going to tell you, I've never seen Christians as angry about anything as they are about the attempt to remove this president from office. Hemant Mehta wrote this. He, he goes on to say, I believe it. I believe that conservative Christians are more upset about an investigation that gets to the bottom of what Trump does behind closed doors with the help of fellow Republicans than anything else. They're not upset about his racism, his coziness with white nationalists, his affairs, his pussy grabbing, his hush money payments, his policy ignorance, his infantile tweets, his shady business dealings, or his, or his constant lies. None of that truly bothers them. But asking questions about Trump's action, trying to discover the truth, that's what gets them more riled up than anything else. It's not about Jesus. It's not about ethics. It's not about a policy decision. These Christians only care about political power, the idea that they might lose it, and the steady stream of young, unqualified right-wing judges who will rubber stamp the religious rights legal wish list is the only thing that matters to them. Thanks, Robert Jeffress, I guess, for accidentally giving away the game. I think that's pretty apt. There are a lot of Christians who are really, really upset that Trump is being put under investigation, pretty much, an impeachment inquiry at this moment. But they're not upset about the things that he did. There's a lot of stuff going on right now politically. Like, as far as I know, Brett Kavanaugh is dealing with a possible impeachment inquiry, too. I'm not super clear on that situation, so I can't really speak to it. But it seems like Republicans appear to be losing ground at the moment in the in the government, for better or worse. That's kind of what we're dealing with. Uh, this one coming from E.G., uh, voice 2 did nothing wrong. Telltale, do you play any instruments other than the guitar? No, I don't really. Um, I played the piano for a while when I was younger. My whole family is like super into musical instruments. My great uncle owned a fife company for a while and a bunch of stuff. Like they all play like a billion instruments, the saxophone and the flute and just everything. My mom plays the violin. I played the violin for a while too, but it's not for me. Anyway, guitar is really all I've kept up with over the years. And honestly, I barely kept up with the guitar. I have one in the back. I've been playing the guitar for the pre-show in Discord a little bit. And that's why they were asking, probably. Uh, this one's from Glenn. Where do you draw the line on whistleblowers? Should all be protected? Or are there some that need to be punished for what they did, how they leaked it? Um, it depends heavily on how, oh man, it's so complicated. It's really hard to say. Generally, I say if they're revealing something that the government did wrong or that some somebody did wrong, it should be revealed and they should be protected for it. If they did it in such a way that it would harm the country, like actively handing the information to Russia, for example, or something like that, then I'd have to think about it. But honestly, like Edward Snowden was, quote unquote, the most controversial example of a whistleblower who was kind of crucified for what he did. But I, I really think what he did was the right thing. I think he did the right thing. And he paid the price for it, too. He can never come back to the U.S. It's, it's a complicated line to walk. As the famous judge said about pornography, I'll know it when I see it. I forget who, the, who said that. By the way, I got a bunch of super chats. Let me just touch on these super chats real quick. We have little faith. On this, the eve of the 69th podcast, 
We, the Church of the Second Voice, are here to declare, in accordance with the articles of Bite Me, that Voice 2 did nothing wrong. I'll just keep going down them and I'll respond to the claims in a minute. Song C. Happy 69th podcast. Omega Riley. Just gonna send it out early. Couldn't do the $69 donation like I'd planned, but I hope this'll suffice. <laughs> Alright, that, that works. I'm totally happy with that one. Uh, we love you, Telltale. Voice 2 has your back, even if you hate us. You could have done $6.90. That could have worked. I appreciate that. We have little faith. Have you ever thought of putting your tattoos on merch? They would look awesome on t-shirts. Yeah, that would be cool. Maybe I should. Of course, some of the tattoos are like copyrighted works and I can I can put them on my skin, but I can't legally sell something with the image. So before I move forward, let me just show you guys some of the tattoos that I have. This one says unbreakable. I got that in response to being an ex-Jehovah's Witness, largely. I feel like it, it, it was really, really meaningful. Like, I've been through an awful lot, and I'm still here. They, they have not broken me. I'm still alive, and I'm still fighting, and, and I will never give up. So that's what that one means. And then I, and then I also have, um, it's upside down. I can't really, can't really show it upright, but it's, um, it says cursed, and it's a 666 tattoo. So you guys can kind of make out the 666 there. I also have a tool tattoo on my back. It says, oh, it's just one of the tool eyes, but underneath it, I, I haven't done this yet. I would like to get the words uh, tattooed on that say, it's not enough. I need more. Nothing seems to satisfy. I don't want it. I just need it to breathe, to feel, to know I'm alive. And then I have a one half of the a perfect circle tattoo on my arm here. My daughter's mom has the other half. We were split up when we got the ma the the matching tattoos, I guess you could say. But it was, you know, we're still good friends, and so it was meaningful for that reason. And then finally, I have Kylie's name tattooed on my arm. There you go. Those are my tattoos. Those are all of them. Um, this one, the uh, the cursed one, the 666, that belongs to a band called Deicide. I can't put that on a shirt legally. Unbreakable, I could put on a shirt. The other one on my back, the tool one, I can't put that on a shirt either. That's also copyrighted. So anyway, those are my tattoos. Maybe I'll put Unbreakable on, on a shirt. Maybe that'd be cool. So I got more super chats. Let's see. Voice 2 did nothing wrong, sent $2. I will get to these claims in a minute. Omega Riley. Oh yeah, y'all gotta like the podcast too, y'all. <laughs> it's a lot of y'alls. And then we have little faith. I'm starting a conspiracy theory that Telltale owns like five shirts. Evidence, every video I've ever seen of him has the same shirt, presumably. No, I have a whole bunch of white shirts, just plain old V-neck white shirts, like a billion of them. And then I, I have a whole bunch of button-up shirts. And then I have a lot of black shirts and stuff. They're all really similar to each other. I have kind of a bland, regular style, I guess. I don't know. I don't have much of a style at all, I guess. White shirts are comfortable, so whatever. Uh, this is from We Have Little Faith again. Seeing evangelicals throw their support behind Trump during the 2016 election was the main catalyst for my deconversion. Not the only thing, but... I find that there are a lot of really weird catalysts for people. Like, my catalyst for leaving religion is 
really strange. I was talking to my um, my brother-in-law, or my ex-brother-in-law. He used to be my brother-in-law. I was talking to him. He's an active Jehovah's Witness, and I had been disfellowshipped for like a couple of years, at least at this point. And he was telling me, do you know that like Jehovah's Witnesses in like the 1930s, Joseph Rutherford, the president at the time, had a mansion built and deeded to old Bible characters like Moses and Isaac and, and stuff? It's like, that's weird. And it just that that moment, for no reason, clicked. It it just made me realize that Jehovah's Witnesses are equally as full of shit as every other religion out there. And of course, I grew up learning how full of shit other religions were. So that's all it took to push me over the edge. I was like, this is bullshit. And I just never looked back. So that I kind of defaulted to not believing in any religions as a result of that. I defaulted to atheist after leaving Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, let's see here. Voice 2 did nothing wrong. Sent $2.69. Voice 2 did nothing wrong. Yes, it did. Uh, just another account, three ninety nine. What do you think of Andrew Yang? That's a really, really good question. Let me address the Voice 2 did nothing wrong bit first. Last week on the podcast, I, I was in the pre-show. I was talking to some people in one of the channels, and I was like, I'm going to go use the bathroom. I'll be back in a minute. Nobody leave. I'm counting. There were 16 people. So I, I stand up from my chair, and I see... 15 people. One of them left. As I left, a bunch of people left the special events voice channel and went to voice two to talk while I was in the bathroom. And I got back and saw like two people in the special events channel. Potato and Wombat, I think, was one of the people who remained. So in solidarity, thank you. I appreciate that. But everybody who went to voice two is dead to me. No, I'm just, I'm playing. But in all seriousness, that's what the meme is. That's what it's all about. Oh, Potato and Wombat admitting they bounce between both. Yeah. F*** you guys. <laughs> Demonetized. So you got another super chat. Petition to make Telltale dress up as Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory for Halloween because he already looks like Jim Parsons. That was from We of Little Faith. Um, I'm not sure if I should take that as a compliment or an insult. I'll take it as a compliment. Appreciate that. <laughs> Actually, I feel like I've been told that before. But I think in the Big Bang Theory, I've never seen it before. From my understanding, Sheldon has Asperger's Syndrome. I do not have Asperger's Syndrome. So there is that. I've heard it's a really good show. I should really give it a watch. Anyway, to answer the question, what do you think of Andrew Yang? He's got a lot of really, really cool ideas. I really, really like his ideas. Unfortunately, I don't think he has much of a chance of uh, winning the nomination. I would lo I'm glad that he's in the race right now because there's this thing called the Overton window. And it's basically, it's, it's the window of acceptable public discourse. So in Germany in 1944, for example, the window of acceptable public discourse had shifted way to the right and way up toward authoritarianism. Uh, or actually, maybe... I think they were actually left-wing authoritarians. Anyways, it had shifted way up into the corner. So saying some things in public was like taboo. Like, that's ridiculous. You're, you're a fool for saying that. It's like being in the U.S. right now and talking about communism. You're a fool for talking like that. That's, that's kind of the, the sentiment about it, right? That, that's because our Overton window is pretty far from communism. Our, our Overton window has shifted really far to the right. So our acceptable discourse in the U.S. right now is far closer to the right than I want it to be. And as a result of that, a lot of our candidates on a worldwide stage are more like 
conservative-ish, right-wing-ish kind of uh, candidates on a worldwide scale. So somebody like Hillary Clinton, who was running as a Democrat for the Liberal Party in the U.S., would have probably been closer to the conservative party in um in the UK. So our Overton window is really far to the right. And Andrew Yang being a part of the political discourse is a really, really helpful, good thing. He's bringing up issues that I feel are really, really important and talking about things and normalizing ideas that could be really good for society, like universal basic income. We can at least discuss it, whether it's the right thing to do or not, we should be able to discuss it. And so him running on universal basic income and giving it attention is actually really, really helpful, I think. It, it widens our scope of political discourse. It, it widens the Overton window, pushes it a little, bit, a little bit further to the left and away from that right-wing kind of ideology that it's focused on right now. So that's how I feel about Andrew Yang. I don't think he has much of a chance of winning anything, but I'm glad he's there. And I'm glad he's pushing the Overton window further to the left with the discussions. This one coming from Jazz, voice two did nothing wrong. Question for Telltale. What is your earliest memory? Is it JW related or is it something relatively normal? I've thought about this because um, we talked about this in psychology classes when I was going to school. What is your earliest memory? I don't really remember. (laughs) Does that mean much? This may not be my earliest memory of all time, but the first thing that pops in my head right now is when I was about five years old, I told my mom that I wasn't going to make it into the new system, which is Jehovah's Witness speak for making it through Armageddon, basically. Some of you may know this, but for those of you who don't know, Jehovah's Witnesses don't think that everybody's going to heaven. They think that everyone's going to live in a Garden of Eden 2.0, pretty much. Like Some people go to heaven, 144,000, to serve as kings and priests over earth with Jesus. Jesus, but the majority of Jehovah's Witnesses will just stay on earth in a paradise and rebuild the, you know, the earth after God destroys it in Armageddon, pretty much. So my earliest memory that I'm thinking of at this moment is telling my mom I wasn't going to make it through Armageddon, pretty much, because I lied one time or something, or I I was a liar or some other thing, and she was like, no, you'll make it through, you'll be okay, I and mean, we all lie sometimes, we all break rules, but uh, just try not to do that. <laughs> so that's, that's the first uh, lesson I can think of, or I'm sorry, that's, God, that's the first memory I can think of at the moment. Also, I just got another super chat from Glenn. Will you ever post fan art on your vids again? Telltale, you're totally tubular. Your channel is getting better and better. Appreciate that. I may. The fan art thing is actually really popular. I should do that. It was just um, really, really time-consuming and difficult to catalog the artwork. I I can save it to my drive and I scroll through it every now and then. I have like thousands of pieces of artwork from people and I love looking through it. Like sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll just scroll through the artwork, you know, but cataloging it, naming it, creating the names, linking the names to the files and things like that is a very time-consuming, difficult process. So that's kind of why I stopped. It, it was taking up like hours and hours of time to do it properly so maybe maybe i will do that again it was pretty cool i liked doing it we have little faith again what's your favorite dog breed i like labradoodles no i'm just kidding i like labs black labs i guess are pretty cool i haven't really thought about it i really prefer cats because they're lower maintenance they're easier 
There was a, an article that I found here. In Virginia, American atheists upstaged Jehovah's Witnesses. For context, I know most of the people at American Atheists. I've worked with the vice president multiple times. She's the shit. Debbie Goddard, I love her to death. She is awesome. I've worked with the communications director and a bunch of other people, board members, Matt Dillahunty, Seth Andrews, and Andrew Torres, and... Um, who else? Aaron Ra. And then one other, a fifth person is on the board. I know all those guys, except I, I don't really talk to Andrew Torres much, but I do talk to the others. So I'm, I know all the people over there at American Atheists. I respect the hell out of all of them. They're doing an absolute fantastic job. And I just, I could not respect them more for what they do. So I, I, this article caught my eye. In Virginia, American Atheists upstage Jehovah's Witnesses. So let's give it a read. I haven't actually read it at all. Uh, So let's see what it says. If there's one thing members of the Jehovah's Witnesses cult are good at, it's making utter nuisances of themselves in public places, places such as Department of Motor Vehicle Centers. But American atheists spiked the guns this deplorable organization last weekend when it set up stalls outside of two DMV centers in Richmond, Virginia, which are regularly haunted by the Jehovah's Witnesses. According to American atheists, their organization had received multiple complaints that Jehovah's Witnesses were proselytizing outside various government facilities, said AA's Virginia State Director Larry Mendoza. We would rather that government property be free of religious speech altogether. However, to ensure religious equality for everyone, including atheists, I applied for equal access to two separate DMV locations and will continue to request access on a regular basis. AA's request was accepted by the Commissioner of the Virginia DMV, Richard D. Holcomb, on September 2nd or 11th, I can't tell. Mendoza said, I applaud the commissioner's decision to promote religious diversity. No one group should completely take over a public location. 100% agree with that. Last Saturday, Mendoza and Dusty Saboran, assistant state director for Chesterfield and her local secular parenting group, Little Heathens of RVA, set up a table at the West Henrico DMV in Richmond. Said Saboran, I was surprised to see Jehovah's Witnesses outside the DMV promoting their idea of family values, especially given how they treat those who have chosen to leave their religion. A large part of my group's mission is to provide much-needed community for people and families who have left religions like the Jehovah's Witnesses. That same day, American Atheist Assistant State Director for Virginia Beach, Aidan Barnes, and Assistant State Director for Newport News, Matthew DeGrave, set up a stall at the Hampton DMV on behalf of their local group, Southeastern Virginia Atheists, Skeptics, and Humanists, a chapter of Washington Area Secular Humanists. Said Barnes, It was great to answer all of the passerby's questions on atheism and the separation of religion and government. We're looking forward to holding this event again and at even more locations. DeGrave added, We call on all religious minority communities, including Buddhists and Satanists, to make use of the DMV's space. When Virginians hear all the different religious viewpoints that claim to be right, they'll soon realize that none is. American atheists have a presence on Facebook and more than 375,000 followers. Actually, I think that's a fine way of fighting it. Jehovah's Witnesses are 
very, very wrong. And a lot of people recognize that. So I, I don't really worry about like people coming up and like being co-opted by their stupid ideas, honestly, because they're very widely recognized as a cult at this point. Thanks to the efforts of like John Cedars, who's been doing it for like 10 years or something like that, and lots of other people. They're, they are widely recognized as a cult. But making sure that it's an open space for everybody, including atheists, is extremely important. I'm really, really glad to see that American Atheists is doing something like this. I don't really want to get into it too much, but American Atheists lost somebody a while back who is not, not a super great guy, and his own, the only thing that he really had going for him, honestly, was the fact that he could fundraise like nobody else. And he managed to bring in lots and lots of donations. When they lost him, as I, I, like I said, I'm glad they did lose him. But when they did, they lost a lot of funding too. And I think that this is the kind of publicity, this is the kind of thing that they need to get to, to engage in, kind of, to keep their name relevant and keep going. So as long as it's not like attacking anybody or anything like that, which is something that the other guy tended to do a lot, was attack people. I'm glad to see what American Atheist here is doing. And they have new leadership that, that just came in in the past like year or two. And I, I actually trust the leadership right now. I know some of them, and I have a great deal of trust for them. And I, I hope that they can steer the organization through a lot of the mud that's being flung at it at the moment. And probably will be flung at it in the future, too. So, anyways, uh, good for American Atheists. Glad that they did that. Uh, I'm glad to see them fighting like that. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I'm trying to make a shirt design for every cult I've covered. I haven't gotten every one, but I'm working on it. So check it out and see if your cult is up there. Second, you can support me by checking out my game shop. I sell controller, cartridge, and game box stands for every system from the original Nintendo and Sega Game Gear to the Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. So give that a look too. And finally, if you want to support me in some way other than monetarily, you can check out my other YouTube channels. I have a retro game channel where I answer questions like, why does Shy Guy have a mask? And why are CRT TVs the best way to play retro games? I also have the podcast where I talk about stuff I don't feel I can say on a monetized channel. And finally, I have my main channel, where I talk about cults. I wish I didn't have to worry about dancing around subjects carefully in the first place, but I chose to do this as a full-time job, so unfortunately, I rely on YouTube's AdSense and on the support of patrons to continue doing the work I do. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.